without any further interruption. How about we stand as we welcome the word today? Come on, Tim, come and preach today. Thank you, Tim. Take a seat this morning. It's Christmas. Look at the stage. Carolina's just saying how happy the stage makes her feel because it's Christmas. But, you know, throughout the week, it's been this revelation that people have had that it's December. And every time this happens, and it happens every year, doesn't it, that it's December and people say, how did it become December? Where's the year gone? And and we say this every year. Where'd the year go? Time's going faster. That's what you said last year, so time must be going really fast this time. (laughs) And it's almost this sudden realisation that, oh my gosh, it's December, everything's happening. But we do have little clues that lead us into Christmas. Well, it was September. September, Belinda and I were going shopping, uh, birthday shopping for our six-year-old boy, trying to find some Power Ranger toys, uh, which proved far harder than what you would think but we, we went into Big W, and as we walked into Big W, I saw the Christmas trees out. Septem- middle of September. And I had a thought, surely this can't be true. <laughs> and then, if I'm honest, there was a little bit of anxiety that came upon me. And I took a bit of a deep breath, because I knew C- Christmas is coming. And Christmas is one of them times where it is so busy and can seem so crazy. And it's called the silly season. That ought to tell us something. That this time of year can be full of all sorts of things that are going on in our lives. We have Christmas parties to attend. We have work, uh, things to finalize for the end of the year. We have family that we have to go and see, have to go and see. (laughs) And we have all these things going on. And the irony of Christmas many times is that we sing about peace and about joy and about goodwill to our fellow man. But on the inside, we're full of anxiety and we're frustrated and we're angry and we worry about how on earth we're going to get through all this. And I want to talk to you this morning about having heavenly peace, especially in this time of year where we sing about it, but we don't often have it. And really, if you think about it logically, we should actually be the most peaceful generation of all time. You think about the things that we have in our world. You think about uh, the safety features that we have. We can all, uh, you know, lock our homes and have alarms in our homes and, and, you know, all of this stuff that has never existed before. In terms of history, we feel safe and secure. We buy cars recently. My wife and I had to buy a new car and we did the thing where your whole world becomes about cars for about a month. And you learn all these phrases to make you sound like you know what you're talking about. Like, I hear the 1.4 litre turbo diesel is better than the 2 litre petrol. Is that, is that right? That's what you say to the dealer. I've got no idea what that means, but I said it to a dealer um, to make me feel like I knew what I was talking about. And so he's going through all the safety features of this car and he's telling me about where all the airbags are. And I swear, if we crash this car, the thing's going to float off. It has so many, it's ridiculous, the whole thing, the car is an airbag. (laughs) 
and we're just so safe. You think about medical technology and Dr. Carl Krujaniski, who's uh, well known on the ABC. If you're, if you're an older person, you might listen to the ABC. <laughs> oh, that's, I listen to the ABC, so that's all right. And so Dr. Carl Krujaniski's on there and he said, this generation being born now will either be the first to die or the first to live, the last to die or the first to live forever. And that's probably an ambitious statement, but the reality is we are living longer and longer and in more relative comfort as we grow older. And so we should have that safety and that security and that peace of mind that uh, life's going to be okay. But we actually don't. You look in the Western world that antidepressants are the most commonly prescribed drug. That we are full of fears and anxieties and worries and concerns and we have an incredible amount of work stress upon our lives and uh, relationship pressures and time pressures and we just don't feel at peace. And we do what everyone does when it comes to there's something wrong in my life, we look for something to blame. And it's easy, isn't it? It's so easy to find something to blame for a lack of peace in our lives. We can say, well, just look at the Middle East. You know, we have this uh, incredible situation that's going on where there's so much uncertainty and worry and concern. And how can I live in peace when this situation there is going on with all of ISIS and the terrorism, which is now extending even beyond that region into Western countries? And who knows if we could be the next ones attacked and uh, you know, live in this fear of, am I going to be safe to go out? We can look at the economy and say, well, China's slowing down and that means that the mining boom's going to slow and that means that uh, this filters down into the rest of the economy and I'm not sure if my job's safe because I'm only on a casual position anyway and we worry about that. And how can I live in peace with the economy the way that it is? How can I live in peace when uh, I've got this diagnosis or a good friend or a family member has got this diagnosis? How can I live in peace? with all these things going on in my world. But Jesus gives us an idea of what real peace is. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, Jesus tells us that he doesn't give peace in the way that the world gives and the reason you don't feel like you can have peace with all those things going on is because you're looking for peace as an external thing, whereas Jesus says peace is actually an internal thing. And you're looking for all the boxes to be checked in the world and uh, once I have money in the bank and once there's no more fighting and once uh, this uh, diagnosis gets sorted out and once my kids are doing well in school again, then I'll feel that I can have some peace. If you're looking for that, you'll probably never have all them boxes checked at one time. And if you do, enjoy it. <laughs> because it won't last long. Because there's always something. But that's why Jesus says, don't look for the externals. Peace is an internal thing. In Acts chapter 2, so you have to understand when, when Jesus is telling us this, he's actually contextually talking about the Holy Spirit coming. That when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come and he will fill the disciples' hearts and lives. 
And you see this happen in Acts chapter 2. Uh, as they're all, all the disciples are gathered together, Jesus has ascended into heaven. They're there. They've got no idea what's going to happen. They don't know how this is all going to play out and they're going to go into all the world and fulfill this commission that Jesus has called them to. There is no peace in the circumstances because they feel under pressure and under fire. Yet the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 and whilst nothing changes, everything changes. And they go from having doubt and uncertainty to having peace in their lives because peace is not external, it's internal. Paul agrees with us. Well, agrees with Jesus. And we're going to look in Philippians chapter 4 throughout the rest of this message. And Philippians was a letter that Paul wrote toward the end of his life, and he actually wrote the letter of Philippians while he was in jail. And he, as you read through the letter, you can see that he is coming to terms with being at the end of his life. And he's saying that in some ways I really wish that I could go and be with Jesus because that will be great. But I know that I need to be here as well to, to encourage and support and teach uh, you all. And he's dealing with this, but throughout the letter of Philippians, you actually sense great joy and a real spirit of thankfulness and gratitude. And in fact, uh, the, if you go and buy a Bible study book on Philippians, usually it's subtitled the letter of joy. Yet, here he is writing this in jail, knowing that life could end at any moment for him because he understood, as Jesus understood, as you need to understand, that peace is not external, it's internal. And we get a significant promise that he, Paul gives in Philippians 4 verse 7. It says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God's peace can be present in your life and it surpasses all understanding. And we can have a peace that people will look at you and say, I don't understand why you're at peace. Because your circumstances tell me that you shouldn't be. You should be anxious. You should be worried. You should be doubtful. Yet you have peace. Why is that? But this is the promise that Paul gives to us. And this is an often quoted verse. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend who's uh, terminally ill. And so I wrote this, uh, this actual scripture to, to this friend. And I said, you know what, I'm just really praying the peace of God that surpasses understanding will be upon you. And that's a great promise. But after I wrote it, I thought, well, that's great, but how do we get it? You know, we can say these words often and, and we're well-meaning in them and uh, they're true. But how do we get that? And Paul actually gives us a recipe for how to get that, the peace that surpasses all understanding. He actually does tell you, if you look around, the Bible has the answers. Have a look around. And you see, around this promise, we have a recipe for peace. First thing is that you need to stop worrying. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. Stop worrying. This is Paul's first piece of advice for you. Stop worrying. Stop waking up in the middle of the night 
worrying about how you're going to pay the bills, worrying about how you're going to buy the kids their presents, worrying about the relationships that you're in, worrying about how you're going to meet that deadline. Stop worrying. Worry is actually very, very bad for you. You know how we say, I'm worried sick? You actually are. You really are. When we worry, uh, our body releases two chemicals, adrenaline and cortisol. And over, if, if we allow these to build up over a period of time, then what happens is that it has a toxic effect on our body. And it leads to heart attacks, an increased risk of stroke. It leads to stomach ulcers in the long term. In the short term, your worry will cause muscle tension, headache, back pain, weak legs, and also affect your digestive system. You're worrying yourself sick. And Paul says, stop it. Stop doing it. And that sounds so easy. Are you worrying? Just don't. Okay. But Paul understands that just telling you to stop it isn't going to work. And so he adds to it, goes on. Next scripture, Philippians 4, 6, the rest of that. But in everything, see there, everything, not some things, not the little things, not the big things, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, and that's important, let your requests be made known to God. He says, stop worrying, start praying. Give your worry over to God because worry wasn't for you anyway. You never see Adam and Eve worry until they sin and they break their uh, relationship with God. Then worry enters their life. Before then, they never worried because God took care of their needs and they had a trust in God and worry is a trust issue and you're going to have to give over your worry to God. And when you wake up in the middle of the night and you begin to worry and you feel that rush of uh, those chemicals that are being released and uh, there's all this nervous energy in your body because you're so worried and so stressed and thinking about all this, you have to hand this over to God and say, God, this is for you. I can't deal with this worry. Can you worry about it? But I thank you that you are my provider and you're going to pay the bills. I thank you that you are my defender. I thank you that you are my righteousness. I thank you that all things work together for good and then do yourself a favor and go back to sleep. Because that does far more good than laying awake for hours worrying. This is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. This is a lengthy verse of Scripture, but uh, if you'll bear with me with it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stay, store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, more, not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Worry doesn't help you. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they do, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Jesus says pretty much what Paul says in Be Anxious for Nothing, Pray. Jesus says it in a far longer way. He says, why do you worry? And this is almost confusing to him. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink? Don't you get it that God wants to look after you? Because worry is a trust issue. And when you worry, you are showing that you're not really trusting God to take care of your needs and to provide for you. It is a lack of trust. And this is why in verse 33, he says the same thing. You worry about all these things. You need to stop it and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Stop worrying. Start developing a relationship with God of intimacy, of prayer, of genuine relationship, of giving your worries over to him and trusting him. And as you place your trust in him, your worry should become less. Because you understand that God is your provider and God is able to look after you. You need to stop worrying. Secondly, we need to start thinking. I work in construction and so uh, I'm a house painter and so I have to paint ceilings, which everyone who's ever seen me paint a ceiling says, man, that must kill you. It does. Uh, And so I get a lot of shoulder pain and back pain. But uh, a few months ago, I was actually having some lower back pain which was a bit unusual because it always happened when I was driving, never really at any other time. So I went to see someone about this uh, and he said, oh yeah, the problem is you're not breathing right. And, you know, (laughs) I sort of nodded. (laughs) But I'm polite and so I didn't say anything. but, But in my mind, I thought, I've got the breathing thing down, Pat. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty good at breathing. <laughs> I can actually do it in my sleep. Like, I can. I'm that good at it. Uh, but, you know, he went on and he explained. He said, there's two ways you can breathe. If you're a singer, you'll understand this. Matt and Annie are over there. They'll, they'll be able to teach you this later, so don't come to me. But you can breathe into your chest or you can breathe into your diaphragm. And so if you take a deep breath and your shoulders go up, means you're breathing into your chest. You actually should be breathing into your diaphragm. Now you're all thinking about how you're breathing. <laughs> Every one of you. Right? And he said, the problem is that you're breathing into your chest, and that's uh, putting stress on your back as you're sitting. If you breathe into your diaphragm, uh, you'll find that that pain will go away. And he was right. And so here I was for 30, however many years, I think 36. I'd been breathing the way that I just thought everyone breathed, because I didn't know there was more than one way to breathe. And it was doing me harm. It was actually hurting me by doing that. Now, can I suggest this morning that there's more than one way to think? And perhaps this morning, you're thinking the way you've always thought, and you'd say, yeah, I know how to think. But perhaps the way you're thinking is doing you harm. And Paul gives us an understanding of how we should think. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, 
Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is how we should be thinking. This is how you should be choosing to think. There's a story of a young lady who goes out on a date and she hasn't been out on a date for a while and uh, so this is something very exciting for her and she's met this guy who uh, seems to tick all of her boxes. He's good looking, he's got a great job, he's financially secure uh, and she really sees herself as this could be the one, this could be the guy. And so she gets all dressed up, she's all excited, she goes out on a date and at the end of the night, the guy says to her, uh, I'm sorry, it was great to meet you and, and you're a great person, but I just don't see a future in this. Maybe he tried the it's not you, it's me line. <laughs> but he says, I just don't see a future in this. And so this girl, obviously, she's really built herself up and her, uh, her expectation up. And so uh, she rings a friend because she feels devastated and she just wants to talk to someone. And she rings her friend and she tells her friend the whole story. And her friend immediately says, well, what did you expect? You're not very pretty. You're not that interesting. And your choice of clothing isn't that great either. We would all do what you just did and say, that's a bad friend. You should probably defriend that person and just never call them again. But what if I was to say to you that at the end of the night, she hears that news, she sits down, she's devastated, and in her mind, she thinks to herself, why would he be interested in me? I'm not very pretty. I'm not that interesting. My clothing is, is bad. We wouldn't be as shocked. And in fact, you might even recognize your own thoughts in that. And here she was, thinking the way she's always thought, and it was doing her harm. And if you've not thought about what your, what your thoughts are, if you don't think about what you think, then chances are you might be doing it wrong and it might be hurting you. Because Paul says, if you want heavenly peace, if you want to have a genuine peace in your life, you better be thinking things that are true. You better be thinking things that are noble, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are of a good report, things that are praiseworthy about yourself, about others, about your circumstances. And stop having the negative thoughts in your life that would tear you down, would rob you of peace, rob you of joy, and begin to choose the way you think. And line that up with what the Word of God says, that you can have some peace about your life. Thirdly, we need some practical peace. Often Christianity can be an ideology, something that can be discussed and theorized about, and we can come on a Sunday and we can hear some teaching and say, that's great, that's amazing, that's fantastic. And then on Monday, what was that that was said yesterday? Oh, I don't know and just live the way you've always lived. And you need to get away from having Christianity as head knowledge and have it as a practical outworking in your life. And Paul in Philippians 9 says, The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. It's not about what you are, but it's about who you are. It's not about a label, it's about a lifestyle. 
It's not about ticking the box of Christianity and saying, yes, that's who I am, but, but not being that. It should be who you are. And Paul says that you can follow what you've learnt from me, you can follow what you've received from me, what you've heard and what you saw. In other words, that Paul's life was not just one of ideology or one of words and ideas, it was one of practical faith and outworking. And that as you looked at his life, there was obviously a peace about him because he's talking about having peace and so he was at peace. And they would have seen that under all circumstances. And this didn't just happen in his life. In fact, in Philippians 4.11, he says, I've learnt in whatever state I, I am to be content. He said, I've learnt whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full that I can be content. I've learnt whether I've got money in the bank or whether there's no money there, I can be content. Whether people are being nice to me or being mean to me, I can be content. And he's learnt this in his life. And you are going to have to learn to be content with what you have this Christmas. Can I give you the best piece of advice you'll ever get? Don't put Christmas on the credit card. Just don't. If you can't afford it, you can learn to be content with what you have. My mother's here today and I'm sure when I was a kid I harassed her endlessly about all sorts of toys that I desperately needed. And I'm sure being a, a wonderful mother, she bought me some of those. I can't really remember. But I'm sure she didn't buy me some of those. And I'm not emotionally scarred by it. <laughs> and your kids that are begging you and begging you and begging you, if you can't afford it, don't borrow to afford it. Just learn to be content. And teach them something about what Christmas is. is. Learn to be content. And we're going to need to learn to be content and we're going to need to have some practical peace about our lives this season. This week, as you drive into the already full and reduced North Lakes car park <laughs> and you're circling and circling and circling and then you see someone leaving and so you stalk them. And you drive really slowly behind them and you're, you're, you're trying to pretend like they don't know that you're, that you're following them. And then they get into the car and you quickly put the indicator on. And then you're sitting there and then they have to get the kids in and they have to get the, the groceries in then they have to take their trolley back to the trolley bay and they come back. So you've been waiting now about, what, 10, 15 minutes. And then they pull out and as they pull out, some young punk in a pea plate quickly gets in there. You're going to need some practical peace. Because your thoughts might not be noble and pure. But you're going to need some practical peace over this season. Some of you are already dreading Christmas Day. Because you know, in your mind, you've, you've got this image of how it's going to play out, right? Because you've got four houses to go to. Because your parents, they've separated and they're now in new relationships. Your partner's parents, they're separated. So you've got four houses to visit. 
and you're going to have to get your kids in the car really early on, on Christmas morning and that's going to upset them because you bought them a PlayStation and a bike and for months they've been wanting a PlayStation and a bike and they want to just play with these things and you say, no, we can't because we have to go to four houses today, get in the car, we're not taking them with us and they're angry and they're annoyed at you and already they're in a foul mood, you're going to need some practical peace. And then you arrive at the first house, you arrive at your mum's house, and mum's stressed out because this is the first Christmas that that you've had without grandma. And so there's all this pressure upon mum now because grandma used to do the best Christmas, but she's not there anymore, so it's all on mum. So mum's stressed, and she's worried, and she's anxious, and she's angry. And you walk into that, and the first thing she does is start saying, where is that? You should have bought me this. Do you you remember that you were meant to bring it? And right there, you're going to need some peace. Then you go into the next room and there's your brother-in-law and it's nine o'clock in the morning, but he's already high as a kite and he's talking to you about all this stuff and he's railing on all this, uh, rattling all this language out and you're trying to be nice because for the family's sake, you want to be nice to him. And he's saying, hey bro, how about we just go into the bathroom? I've got this stash. We can get high together. Oh, we can, no, no mum's crazy. Let's deal with mum. Right there, you're going to need some practical peace. And then you go into the next room and there's your cousin and he's bragging about this great promotion that he's got and this new company car. Did you see the, the SS uh, out the front there? That's mine, a company car, brand new, fantastic. And you feel so bad because you, you try and try to make ends meet and it feels like you're getting nowhere and he's getting everywhere. You're going to need some practical peace. And some of you think I made that up. But that's actually a composite of different stories that people have told me their Christmas is going to be about. There are people in this room who are going to that Christmas. (laughs) You need some peace. You're going to have to learn to love your neighbor. You're going to have to pray for those who oppose you. You're going to have to live generously. You're going to have to speak some faith. You're going to have to have some grace. You're going to have to live out the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Don't leave it in your head, but have it in your life. Replace your worry with trust. Replace your worry with trust. Choose what you think about. Catch yourself thinking them negative, destructive thoughts and replace them with Philippians 4.8. You need to write Philippians 4.8 down and read it and put it into your life and begin to live that out. And that's when we do those things. That's when John 14.27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is from Jesus. I don't give as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let the Spirit of God come into your life this season and give you some peace. Allow Jesus to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding, that doesn't come from circumstance. Your circumstance can be terrible. That's not what we're after this Christmas. We're after an internal peace that comes from trusting God, from sorting out our own internal monologue and from allowing the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, transform us, give us some confidence, give us some peace. Can we have every head bowed, every eye closed? We want to pray this morning.
quickly, you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal saviour. Christmas is the greatest time of the year because we get to see so clearly that Jesus was a gift to humanity. He was God's gift to humanity. That as we lived with, with that stress and that guilt and that pressure and everything that is upon us, that God gave His Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And this morning you find yourself here in this place. Someone's invited you, maybe you've come a few times, but you're not a follower of Jesus. But this morning you'd like to be. It's not a complicated process. It simply starts by just an invitation to Jesus to come into your heart. And if you'd like to do that this morning, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you'd just lift your hand so I know to pray with you, to pray for you this morning. I want to believe the God of peace to come into your life, to transform you. Lift your hand so we know to remember you in prayer. You know what, church? We're going to have a great Christmas. We've got so many good things happening. Incredible production, Christmas services. But can I encourage you? Don't let the stress and the worry of Christmas make this a negative time of year. Be content with what you have. Be thankful. Replace your worry with trust. Amen. You can look out. We're going to have a great, we're going to go out. We're going to praise God. I really encourage you. Come back tonight. Josh Palo's preaching. It's going to be an incredible night. We're going to hear all sorts of great stories. Why don't we stand? We're going to go out worshiping, worshiping God. Thank you for. Come on, church.